Welcome to the Dive Podcast presented by Willamette Week. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Each week, we tackle a different issue that's uniquely Portland. So tune in every Saturday to hear a new episode complete with interviews and editorial that helps explain our city. Also, be sure to follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DiveWW. From Portland's leading paper comes a brand new way to engage with the news, sports, arts, and culture. Stick around. Welcome to episode 17 of the Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Hank Sanders. Today is April 24th. We've got a great show for you. The arts and culture editor, Matthew Singer, joins us on the show to discuss the top bar and restaurant patios in Portland. These are the best places to enjoy a drink outside with friends as the weather warms up and vaccines come on out and and we're starting to maybe see a return to normalcy as people are suggesting. After we talk to Matthew, uh, Rachel Monahan, our staff COVID expert, joins us to talk about the state of the vaccination rollout in Oregon and Portland and what the summer might hold for us and, uh, and whether we can really go back to doing the things we once did. All that and more coming up, but first, all the headlines of the week in 90 seconds. This is the 90 Second News Flash. Folks, if you're an anti-vaxxer, Lewis and Clark may not be the college for you because the college is requiring all students who want to return to campus in the fall to be fully vaccinated before attending classes. For the first time in nearly two years, a Portland police officer fatally shot someone. The killing in Lens Park, combined with several other high-profile police killings this week, led to unrest and property damage so extensive that Mayor Wheeler had to call for a state of emergency. One of Oregon Senators, Ron Wyden, commended President Biden on his plan to cut U.S. emissions by half by 2030. He said in a press release that the best place to start is with his Clean Energy for America Act. Former U.S. Representative Elizabeth Kirst died this week. She was 84 years old. State Senator Ginny Burdick stepped down after serving for 25 years. Former Blazers star LaMarcus Aldridge retired this week after suffering from an irregular heartbeat in one of his games with the Brooklyn Nets. His post that moves will surely be missed. This has been the 90 Second News Flash. It's now time to turn to our interview with the arts and culture editor, Matthew Singer. Matthew was in charge of this week's Willamette Week cover. Willamette Week found the 51 best bar patios for Portlanders to enjoy a socially distant drink outside as spring and summer weather comes into Portland. We broke it down into categories like best day drinking spots, best family friendly patios, and best date spots. I asked Matthew about how he came up with the list, his favorite spot in Portland, and many more things. Here is that interview. How did you come up with 51? Why not flat 50? Why not 30? Why not 100? We, we always, you know, our big thing is, um, you know, we don't aim to be comprehensive. We aim to uh, curate, uh, uh, you know, th- uh, our lists and kind of tell people what we think are the best. I think that's kind of what people look to us for. Um, and, uh, you know, so it's, you know, every, uh, I would say like probably, I don't know, like, you know, most bars in town have some level of a patio or an outside space. So really, you know, the first step in doing an issue like this is that I have to like kind of sit down and be like, okay, what are the ones that I know just from my own experience, we definitely need to have, like, what are like the standout patios in town that people will get pissed off if they're not uh, included in one way or another uh, in this issue. And so, you know, I kind of sit down and start a 
spreadsheet or a Google Doc or whatever and just kind of write those down. I'm I'm not in Portland right now. And so I'm in Chicago and places, restaurants, gyms, whatever it may be, they have very different ways that they interact with COVID. What did you find, like walk me through the COVID experience as a customer at most places? Uh, were there any, you know, are there any consistent things that people are doing for, uh, for COVID freaks uh, out there? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think um, you see a lot of the QR code menus or like virtual menus and stuff like that. Um, a lot of like uh, more table service probably than these bars normally do to keep people from like queuing up um, indoors. You know, we, we had definitely had in putting this issue together kind of an uh, eye towards, uh, you know, safety. You know, I think if, if any of my writers had gotten back to me and said, yo, this place was uh, not... I did not feel comfortable being at this place. We would not have uh, okay. included them, even if they were like a standout, you know, bar in normal times. Um, but I think everyone is kind of doing what they can. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, you know, it, it definitely varies, but I think to um, a certain degree, um, you know, every, everyone's being taking this as seriously as possible, at least like all the places that we included in this, this issue. Yeah. So, so like COVID precautions and taking it, uh, taking it seriously was almost a, uh, a criterion that you guys looked at, you know, as like the first step of whether to even think about these restaurants or bars. Right. I mean, and, uh, and nobody, you know, I will say that, you know, of all the stuff that I assigned, you know, nobody came back to me and said that they were like worried about us, including it or didn't feel comfortable at this place. I think, you know, a lot of places are obviously their, um, you know, capacity is down. So you would see, um, you know, people kind of having to wait around, um, outside certain places before getting let in. Um, so these were broken up into a few different criterion. Uh, you had party bars, you had date bars, uh, and you had day drinking bars. I want to know what divides these things up. What makes a party bar a party bar versus a date bar a date bar, and and so on. It you know it's kind of it's kind of just a feel for for the most part. I mean um, you know. In, in we also have different criteria it was like you know good for large groups so usually if a place is um, really trying to cater to you know groups of friends so like they have lots of long big picnic tables you know not a lot of like you know two-seater um, tables it's probably not going to be good for a date spot that's probably going to be more of a spot you go with your friends right um, you know we also looked at like um you know uh day drinking spots was another one and i guess you know the most obvious criteria there is like well do they open earlier than like four right uh, if you have one drink and only one drink for the rest of your life at a portland bar what bar is it what are you drinking funny that you say you know if i get one last drink at one last bar um because i'm that's actually somewhat of a reality for me because i'm moving in in uh a couple of months at the end of july um my wife and i are moving to tucson um Oh my God. Closer to her family and raise our baby around her family. So I do have only about three months left in town. Wow. And, um, but, uh, well, I'll say I have probably two answers, I guess, just, just in terms of what my favorite bars are in town. Um, and if I was going to go to one place, it's kind of like my last hurrah. Um, <laughs> in terms of to, to, to focus on the, for the patio issue, my favorite patio in town um, is Rosenthistle on uh, Northeast Broadway. Okay. Uh, my wife and I have, um, you know, we've gone there. We don't, we lived in that neighborhood, the kind of Irvington area um, uh, for, for years. Um, 
And so, you know, we were kind of going to that bar a lot anyway. And they do have a great patio. It's this kind of like multi-level, half-covered um, uh, wood space that's sort of out in the back and a little bit hidden from the main street. Um, and so we just really like that bar and that patio a lot. But um, in the last couple of years, um, so, you know, we used to have a, a washer and dryer at our apartment that broke. So then we started to have to start taking our laundry to a laundromat and there's um, a laundromat right next door. Um, so we, so we, we kind of started this tradition of us going to um, every like other Friday, we would go drop off our laundry at spin and then go around the corner to Rosenthistle and have, uh, you know, have a beer. Like I said, like I would, I'm usually just like whatever IPA you have and, you know, you would get the burger or some, or uh, I think they have, they have a, um, uh, a really good Buffalo chicken salad there that we get. But anyway, we, we would get drinks and dinner there every Friday night while we did our laundry That's and, awesome. uh, and our, and some of our friends started kind of picking up on this, on this. And they'd be like, Hey, is it, is it laundry night? And so they would start coming and meeting us there and we would play cards or watch a Blazers game. So it just really became the last like couple of years, this like, it just became like our spot and we kind of had this tradition built around it. So, you know, it, that'll definitely be like, it'll be at least one of the places I'll go back to uh, before I leave town. My actual favorite bar in Portland, which we didn't include in this because they don't really have a patio, but it's uh, Sloan's Tavern um, on, uh, on North Russell. Yeah. First of all, the elephant in the room, uh, will you be leaving Willamette Week uh, when you move to Arizona? Yeah, this is all out in the open. So I, I don't know if you'll put any of this on the actual podcast, but uh, I've put this on social media and my team knows and all that. So, you know, I, I don't think it was, it's a secret, not a secret for anybody at this point. But yes, I will be leaving Willamette Week at the end of July. It's very sad. Well, you will be I, missed. The podcast, the podcast listeners will we'll miss, uh, we'll miss your stories. Um, long time of my life. Our next interview is with Rachel Monahan. Rachel spent six weeks volunteering to get dozens of elderly people appointments for the COVID-19 vaccine. We discuss how Portland is doing on the vaccine rollout, what that means for your summer if you are vaccinated, and where our politicians are failing on the vaccine. Listen in. You know, I've followed your writing on not only the vaccine rollout, but also Kate Brown's public decisions about flipping back and forth between whether teachers will get it early in one in you know an earlier phase versus a later phase what is your opinion as a reporter who's covering this topic on the quality of the rollout and the quality of our politicians in dealing with this so maybe give it a grade oh i'm not going to give it a grade all right <laughs> i feel like that that well I, i'll just observe i'm not i i'm not going to venture Perfect. an opinion on this but i will i will say that it has been messy. Like it has been very messy and it's understandable in some ways that it's been messy, but there's like definitely, I would say a mismatch between the rhetoric that we hear from state officials about equity, for example, you know, meaning people, people who are 
least likely to have advantages being able to access vaccines um, at least as often as people who have advantages. And there is definitely a mismatch when you look at some of my competitors have run the analysis of like, you know, the wealthy zip codes versus the poor zip codes and vaccination rates. Um, I did a story on Latino vaccination rates um, in Oregon and, you know, it's quite low. And right. yet we hear state officials, we hear local officials talking about how what they care about is equity. I would, I would feel comfortable saying that they have failed on that metric. Um, I'm not sure that like, I'm sure they could have done a better job, but I think that there are, there, it is understandable in some ways that this has been a struggle. It was going to be a struggle because we have a society that is set up inequitably. So this was likely to be inequitable too. So when we talked about what we just talked about was the inability for politicians in our state to, to get the vaccine out to uh, minority communities, whether that's Latinos and, and African-American communities. Do you think that that has to, how much of that do you think has to do with minority groups being hesitant about trusting the American medical system based on uh, their his, their uh, very checkered history uh, with, uh, you know, rightfully so that they should have questions about it? Or do you think that that is our inability to reach out to those communities? What, what percent do you think is the reasoning for that? My, my impression is that at least with, uh, that there is not data at this point to suggest that um, hesitancy has come into play. I, I suspect it is access. It's a suspicion. I just have not seen data to suggest that um, that that's what's playing into rates, at least with the Latinx community. Um, I think that um, we'll see. There's been growing trust in the, in polling data nationwide for the um, for Black Americans. Like there has been a real effort to uh, reach that community and there has been growing trust. So we will see in the next couple months. So it's really, it's really mostly to do with the equitability of like reaching out to, you know, putting stations in their communities to be able to vaccinate and, and just kind of blind, having a blind side there to reach out to that community. Is that accurate? I, that is my impression at this okay. point that 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 day, that that how like the way that vaccines were prioritized means that those communities were prioritized or many in those communities were prioritized last. Uh, yeah. The healthcare system, the the education system in Oregon, the those those folks skew white. And also older folks, right? Unfortunately, uh, you know, um, life expectancy is lower. Um, that's like a real mark against. Um, if, if you want data to suggest how inequitable uh, right. America is, you look at life expectancy. But also, the the Latinx community is younger, um, yeah. partly through partly for other means for other reasons as well. Yeah. Um, 
in your, one of your articles, you talked about coming across somebody who didn't want to get the J&J vaccine, the Johnson & Johnson vaccine. And obviously now it's been discontinued um, and they're investigating it and, and they might be recontinuing it. But do you think that it's reasonable, let's say when it was continued and when it comes back, do you think it's reasonable for people to avoid getting it? Or do you think people should just get it if they can? Um, I think it depends. Like I, um, I think that I don't judge anyone who has read up and decided that they have a particular vaccine preference and want to search out a particular vaccine. Um, I do not think um, that there is a perfect comparison that exists between the efficacy of um, Moderna or Pfizer as compared with Johnson and Johnson. Um, they're kind of, at least originally, they were tested at different times. Um, I do think, um, I do think like that that I, I know this is a somewhat controversial position, but I think that there is like um, real data to su suggest that uh, Pfizer and Moderna are more effective yeah. than, than Johnson & Johnson. And um, that's a difficult thing, but also um, as far as I understand it, Johnson & Johnson has far fewer side effects and I personally cannot imagine that everyone in this country is willing to endure or, you know, uh, the side effects of Moderna and Pfizer. So I think that anyone who has reluctance about those side effects should consider the Johnson and Johnson vaccine, for example, or anyone who like that Johnson and Johnson is one dose. Like there are plenty of people for whom that's a good option. Yeah. And our governor got the Johnson and Johnson vaccine. I, um, I think that that was actually a very helpful move um, in some regards for people trusting it. And I think there's reason to trust it, even with the side effects that have serious side effects that have been found. So, you know, this is the patio episode and we're talking about let me rephrase that. So, so in this episode, we're, you know, in this episode, we talked to Matthew Singer about getting back out there and uh, drinking with your friends in patios and having dinner outside shoulder to shoulder with your friends. So if I get the vaccine, am I, am I good to go? Am I, am I free? Can we go uh, uh, lick some doorknobs like we used to? <laughs> you used to lick doorknobs? Hey, you know, wow. It was, that's it was so all the rave. It was that's all the rave. So, that's so intriguing you young folk you it's um, yeah no it's awesome <laughs> uh so no <laughs> no we I shouldn't mean, be doing that okay well and take, I, I'll, I, I'll that's, that. i'm more con i'm more concerned about um uh uh you being in somebody's personal space in some way that you would breathe their exhaust shall we say yeah um the because that's how this spreads um, but the thing is, I, I think there's something really missing from 
Americans' understanding of vaccinations, and that's that they're not 100% effective for you, and they're not 100% effective for everyone. There is no guarantee what they are very, very, very good at is making sure that fewer people in our community will get COVID. There is a reason, there is a selfish reason to get it. You are far more likely not to, to get COVID or experience um, serious side effects of COVID, but the true impact of vaccines will not be felt until your community is vaccinated at a very high rate. Um, I would just say uh, because, the, as I've explained, the vaccines are not 100% effective, but a lot of people having something that is highly effective means that there will eventually be less COVID circulating in our community if enough people get the vaccine. So I definitely am not planning to eat indoors, even when I am, you know, have the full immunity of two vaccines until case counts go down. And that is because I am waiting for my community to get vaccinated so that case counts go down. Beautiful, beautiful. So we'll hold off on the licking the doorknobs, I guess. Bummer. <laughs> you, um, can, you can lick doorknobs. I don't think you're going to get COVID that way. Okay. Um. <laughs> Grateful for the little things I love. Early in morning light and you don't think about the goodbye stuff. Remember someday might come soon. Before we go, I want to let you know about a new podcast we have. Come back to the same channel on Tuesdays to listen to Distant Voices, a show where our staff talk to people about how their lives have changed due to COVID for better or worse. We break news on that show. It's really interesting. So come back on the same podcast channel on Tuesdays to listen to that. Well, folks, that's our show. 17 episodes in the book. Thanks so much for coming along for the ride. For Willamette Week, I'm Hank Sanders. See you Tuesday. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Dive Podcast, presented by Willamette Week. For more information on this podcast or the biggest stories in Portland, go to wweek.com and follow Willamette Week on all socials. We're doing some really cool things related to the podcast on our Instagram and Twitter. It includes giveaways, behind the scenes, etc. A lot of cool things coming your way, so give those a follow. Special thanks to our guests for joining us, and thank you to Aaron Mesh, Mark Zussman, and Brian Pangamibon, as well as the entire Willamette week family last but not least thank you so much to heather witty and ampmusic.co for the music that you hear on this podcast for willamette week i'm hank sanders this has been the dive podcast Bye.